Well, good morning. A um, couple things. One, as you, uh, Connor mentioned the, the bulletin and, and we talked about the communication card, a number of individuals have expressed to me a possible interest in being baptized. And so if that would be you, uh, please do me a favor, just check that off again, let me know. We're looking to maybe do that in a little bit and I would appreciate that. Also, today is Communion Sunday. And has everyone gotten their communion stuff? So if you haven't, if there's anyone in back, I'll maybe ask those folk to come in. If someone could, George, Tony, thank you. If you can just maybe send them. I see a, I see a shadow behind the door. If you need communion stuff, wave your hand and Bill and company will come through and make sure you got it. Hey, Royce, can you catch? <laughs> I had an extra. <laughs> now, in our traditional communion stuff, we would not be doing that. So, but in, in, in our COVID world, it's all a nice little package that... Now, George also said we should start working... I didn't start working on yours, Roy, so that's why it's still okay. But uh, George said if you want to loosen things, but you don't want to loosen it too much because then all of a sudden the juice is pouring out. So that wouldn't be that would not be a good thing. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter eleven, and I appreciate that the songs we've been singing and just the flow of what we're talking about, talking about the awesomeness and the excellence of who our God is. And um, so, kudos, thumbs up. Kind of know where we're going, but that's a great thing. Again, I just love it. I love it. I never I never say anything to Greg. I just say. He picks it, he's listening to God, I'm trying to listen to God, and it's cool how all those pieces come together. It's just constantly fun. Really, really cool. And um, so again, as we wrestle that journey and process that journey, we're just listening about the amazingness and awesomeness of who God is. There's none like him, none like him. And to be able to live life saying, it is well with my soul, to be able to live life and say, I'm at peace with God. And all the things may not be perfect, but I am at peace, I'm in oneness, I'm in unity with God. That's an amazing place to be able to live. And the writers of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is challenging the reader. And overwhelmingly, the, the reader is the Hebrew community, the Jewish community. And that's his primary target. Now, here's what's really cool. We get to listen in, we get to read in, and, and we get to listen to the conversation that's taking place, and, and we get to apply those things to our lives as well. But as he was writing, something was going on in the Hebrew community, the Christian, the quote-unquote Christian Hebrew community. And some of them were kind of taking a step back from Jesus. Now, do you ever have a relationship with somebody? And as you've gotten to know them, you're, you're building friendship, you're building relationship. It might be someone you're sweet on, or just might be someone you enjoy hanging out with and, and, and spending time with. And then all of a sudden, in that relationship, in the flow of things, you kind of see them kind of doing this a little bit. And you kind of, kind of look around and go like, okay, time out, like, what's going on? Why are you kind of stepping back? What's, what's going on? And sometimes they'll tell you, 
Sometimes they'll say, well, listen, you don't brush your teeth ever, and it's really, we sit and talk, and it stinks, and I, I, I just can't put up with this anymore. You know, or you've got to use deodorant. Maybe it, it could be something simple like that. You know, but maybe sometimes there's other things that are going on, other things that are happening in life where I don't like how you interact, or I don't like how you talk, or, um, you know, I'm, I'm busy in other things, or you, you just don't know. But sometimes you watch people kind of take this step back, and, and you're... And you want to kind of lean in and understand. What's happening here is some in the Jewish community have been taking steps back in their walk and in their relationship with Jesus. We don't fully know all the things that are going on. We would have some indication and some clue. The hint would be that there is some components of the Jewish faith that are leaning back in their lives and trying to capture their heart away from Jesus. And those that are in the Jewish component are saying, no, Judaism is much, much, much more important than Jesus. We don't know fully, but we see some pieces of the process. What I'd like to do this morning is I'd like us to read from chapter 3 and we're going to look and see part of that conversation as it's taking place. We're going to have a word of prayer and then we're going to start to walk through it. So let's read from chapter 3. It says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now, every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was a faith was faithful as a servant in God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Today, therefore, as the scriptures say, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was provoked to anger with their generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be, any, there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become partners in Christ if we hold firmly until the end, until the, end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For, for who heard and rebelled? Was it all who came out of Egypt under, wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for forty years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would, they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they are unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray together. 
Father, over these next few moments as we spend some time together in your word, and Father, as we try to listen in to the conversation that the writer is having to the, the Hebrew Jewish community, and as he's talking about the importance of Jesus, the significance of Jesus, the vitality, the centrality of Jesus. Father, I would ask that you would guide our time, build into us the kind of faith that you desire us to live with and to have. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now there's one thing I want you to see right at, the, right, at, right at the front. And it's that very first word that exists here, therefore. Now we're going to, well, let me do this. Let me read through the first few verses here and then we'll kind of jump right into that. It says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all of his household. I'll stop there. We'll go back to verse 1. Now, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, therefore, this word is going to show up a bunch of times in the rest of Hebrews. In fact, you're going to see it show up again in verse 7. It's going to show up at the beginning of chapter 4. It keeps on showing up. Therefore. Now, I'm going to say this to you. We've said it before. What is the old preacher saying when you see a therefore? You need to see what it's there for. Therefore points back. It always points back. Now, here's what I want you to understand what's going on. Sometimes when they say therefore, we're kind of building a house. And as we're building a house, we're starting with that foundation and then we're adding things to that structure. And, and, and we kind of are building one thing on top of the other. I don't think that is what's going on. I don't think in this whole conversation the writer is building one thing and then putting another thing on top and then putting another thing on top. Rather, I think of like a train of elephants. You ever, any of you have in your, ever kind of seen your mind that, that train of elephants? You know, one elephant after the other, the, the elephant behind holding the tail in the front of the other, and, and then them holding their tail. Did anyone ever have that, see anything like that, or have that kind of imagery in their brain? That's kind of how I thought about it. And then I said, Andrew, you're probably being old. So, so kind of think like maybe a train or something else like that. Something that links together. Now, what's important to me in this whole process is I don't think one is being built on the other, but one is connected to the other. See, in this whole conversation, I think the author of Hebrews is connecting dots. And he's putting things, we have this, and as we look at this, this is amazing. And then we come to this, which is connected to that. And as we start to understand this, we start to understand this. And this is amazing. And this back here is connected to that, and it's connected to this. It stands on its own, but it's also amazing. It's really, really cool. And you should see the connection and how these things all are connected. And it's not, we're not done, because there's still more stuff that's connected. In fact, even when you get to chapter 11, which we call that great hall of fame of faith, it starts with, therefore. Why? Because it's also pointing back to the conversation and to the things that have been taking place. We have this string of connection, and all these things as they're interconnected and important, and they speak to one another, and as we kind of understand them, they help us to understand the flow and the things that are taking place. 
And so what's going on here in light of this amazingness in chapter 2 of who Jesus is, in light of this amazingness that Jesus became a man, took on flesh, and did that because we could not address sin on our own. And Jesus did that, we need to understand, because Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is more significant than the angels. Jesus is creator God, and yet creator God chose to become man, to be perfected, as we talked about this last week, so that we could be redeemed. And Jesus took on flesh and walked through the process of being a man so that he could stand in our place and an eternal loving God who is fully man take our place and offer us forgiveness while he took upon himself our sin. And then he goes, therefore... Because this whole conversation, he's been talking about how Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the angels. And, and, and Jesus has done amazing things. And, and in fact, he's telling us in the end of chapter 2 that not only is Jesus greater than the angels, but you and I, we are more significant than the angels because Jesus came to redeem us. The angels are not going to be redeemed. Those that rebelled against God, there's a place prepared for them called the lake of fire. They're not going to be redeemed. They don't have an opportunity for repentance, but you and I, we do. And we have that because we have an amazing Savior who became like us, took on flesh so he could take upon himself our sin because he needed to be like us. Therefore, and then we come to this, this conversation here. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters... He's talking about those who have identified themselves as followers of Jesus. He's not talking to the secular world. He's not talking to the unsaved world. He's talking to people who have identified themselves at one point in time as followers of Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling. And I think that's two-pronged. It's two ways. One... We've been called from heaven and God has called out to us and our ears wiggled and and listened and we heard and we responded. We received the holy calling, but also again in the context of all the things we've talked about, as a person responds to the call of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into that individual's life and the Holy Spirit gives that individual spiritual gifts. And in those spiritual gifts, we then also receive a holy calling in that now that we have received these spiritual gifts, these are places and these are ways in which Jesus, which God desires that we would serve him and honor him in our journey because we are supernaturally gifted to serve God, to serve the church community, and to reach out into our world. And so we have a holy calling because God has called us, we have listened, but we also have a holy calling in that we have been gifted and commissioned by God to do service. And so he says again, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a holy calling, consider Jesus. Guys, look again at Jesus. Look again. You know, sometimes we get something and we really look when we're shopping. And then when we get at home, we stop really looking. 
And he's saying, listen, you went shopping, you embraced Jesus, you, you, you connected yourself to Jesus, you listened to the call of God, you accepted Jesus, and now what I want you to do is, I want you to kind of get home and I want you to set Jesus on a table and now we really want you to look at him. Now it's time to really sit down with the owner's manual and really know who he is and what he's like. You ever buy something and you buy it for a simple purpose and later on you find out that it does like 10 other things you never had any idea it did? Like, it does that? I could use it for that? I didn't know that. What did, how, how did you find that out? I had no clue. And the person looks and says, oh, yeah, I read their owner's manual. How many of you drive your car around and there's stuff your car does with the technology, the buttons that you can push on your, on your dashboard and you have no clue how to do those things. Because you haven't taken the time to read the owner's manual. You haven't taken time to figure out how to use it. What you really need to do is you need to take some time to consider what it is. Okay, guys, you've received this calling. Jesus has been at work in your life. He's drawn you to himself. He's called you to him in relationship. He's called you to to him in service. Now, what we really want you to do is we really want you to settle down for a second and really consider Jesus, to really look at him and start to think about him. And he uses this word that we don't typically use in relationship to Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. When you read through other areas of scripture, this is not a typical description of Jesus. We kind of see the high priest conversation a little bit, but it's not like a major conversation. This can become a significant conversation in Hebrews. But almost no one talks about Jesus as an apostle. But you need to remember what that word means. It's messenger. He is the messenger and high priest of our confession. Jesus came and delivered the message of forgiveness. Jesus came and delivered the message of hope that whoever believes in me would not perish but would have everlasting life. Jesus is the one delivering that message. Now the apostles, the other apostles, are the ones who are carrying that message further and they are the ones who are carrying that message to additional places but it's not a new message to them. It's not something they have never heard before and now are delivering. No, the message they are delivering is the message, the good news that they heard from Jesus. And now they are just the middleman. They are giving the message, they are giving the communication, they are telling the world what they heard, what they received from Jesus. But Jesus is the primary messenger. He is the one who came from God and the one who stood between us and God. That is also the high priest. And the, and the writer here talks about both aspects of Jesus' role. Jesus is the messenger from God. 
He is also the high priest. He is the one who stands between us and God and who is the one through whom that new covenant is established. And that conversation is going to happen in a little bit. He is the one who's established, created, and delivered that new covenant. And again, he's saying, guys, you, you need to pause. And you need to take some time to really think about who Jesus is. You need to take some time to kind of sit down, read the owner's manual. You need, you need to kind of look at the different angles and look at the different positions. And, and you know, when you put something on a table, you kind of turn it around, you flip it over, you, you, you take the time to read all the fine print. Take the time to now to start to think about and contemplate who Jesus really is, the messenger and the high priest of our confession, of our faith, of our belief that God loves us and that God provided forgiveness of sin through the finished work of one who went to the cross of Calvary, the one who was fully God and fully man, who took our guilt and our punishment upon himself so that we could receive the forgiveness of God. Jesus is both the one who has delivered that message. Jesus is the one who stood in that position to accomplish that work because Jesus is also the one who is our high priest who stands between us and God and mediates for us so that we have a right relationship with God. He's the high priest. Now, Now this is where he starts to meddle. This is where he starts... Have you ever had someone come to your house who's visiting and they start to touch some of your things that you don't want them to touch? Please don't touch that. Put that down, please. Leave that alone, please. Can you please not mess with that? The writer is going in and he's starting to touch stuff. This is fun. Well, it's fun for us. It's not always fun for the people who are having your stuff touched that they don't want touched. And he's going to start touching stuff. And, but sometimes we need to have these conversations. It says, he was faithful to the one who appointed him. Jesus was faithful to the Father. The Father appointed him, the Father sent him, and Jesus was faithful to the Father. And he says, just as Moses was in all God's household. And people reading this say, we get it. We understand how Jesus was faithful because Moses was faithful. Now pause for a second. In the Jewish community, there are two revered, significantly revered individuals. Abraham, the father of their faith system, and then Moses. As far as they're concerned, you don't mess with Abraham, and you don't mess with Moses. 
you come in and you start to mess with Abraham or you start to mess with Moses, it's fighting time. You know, the, the, the other books of the Old Testament, we can have a conversation about that and, and you can pick on Elijah and you can have all you want to say about Elisha and, and, and you can talk about who wrote the prophets and, and, and we can have all those things and we can have all those conversations. But if you start to say something about Moses, buddy, we got a problem. This is not going to be a good conversation for you. And so they start out good. Jesus is faithful like Moses. We got it. Now, every home is built by someone. But the one who built everything is God. We're good so far. Moses was a faithful was faithful as a servant in God's household. We all get that. Yep, yep. Preach it, brother. Preach it. We agree. Amen. 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 He was a faithful servant. He listened to God. He led the nation of Israel. He called the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He gave us the law. He led us to the promised land. He led us through the wilderness for 40 years and finally got us back to where we need to be and got us into the promised land. Yep. 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 Amen. Amen. Faithful in all of God's household. We get it. And as a testimony to what be said in the future, but, and you know what happens when but happens, right? Everyone pause and say, okay. But the things that we just said are not nearly as significant or important as to what's about to be said. Because when the word but comes along, we recognize that in some ways it often negates what just happened. When you're having a conversation with someone or you're having a disagreement with someone and they tell you something and but oh this is not going to be good. And as far as the Jewish community is concerned this is about to not be good. We're going yes, yes, yes. Preacher brother, preacher brother. What do you mean but? But Christ was faithful as a son. Know what he just said here? Moses is cool, and Moses is important, and Moses is significant, and Moses is vital. But Jesus is way more important than Moses. Moses was a lackey. Jesus is a son. Moses, important down here. Jesus, a son up here. Jesus, way more important than Moses. Not that Moses is unimportant and not that Moses is insignificant. Moses is great. Moses is awesome. 
But Jesus is greater and awesomer. Jesus was faithful as a son over his household. Moses was a faithful servant in the household, but Jesus is the faithful son over in charge of the household. And we are that household. We are that household. And then he says this, and this is that kind of statement. If we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Now, we're landing in one of those challenging texts again that Hebrews is famous for. Those challenging kind of lean into you a little bit and kind of push your buttons a little bit conversation. And what's going on here is these individuals, members of the Jewish community, probably some members of the the Gentile community, but who are aligned with the Jewish mindset, are taking steps back. And the writer is reminding him and telling him again and again, Jesus is more important. Jesus is greater. Jesus is more significant. He messes with angels. He talks about angels. He he talks about how we are significant, how Jesus came and became a man so that he could intercede for us. But now, in the Jewish mindset, he is really starting to step on it. And he is really starting to get annoying because now he is saying that Jesus is way more important than Moses. But then he says something that in our culture, in our Christian experience, maybe pushes our buttons. If we hold on to our confidence in the hope in which we boast. We have been raised and trained in a worldview for generations now that says, go someplace, pray a prayer, and you're good. You're good. You prayed a prayer. You, you signed on a dotted line for that heavenly fire insurance. You're not going to go to hell. You're good. And we've told this to people time and time and time and time and time and time again. What he's saying here puts some of that in question. And here's what's going on. We have told people, pray this prayer. And if you pray this prayer, you're good. And that's probably not really a true statement. Because what the writer of Hebrews is saying, pray that prayer, but then hold on to Jesus. And he would be saying the evidence that you have genuinely and truly prayed that prayer and the evidence that you genuinely and truly have meant what you prayed is the fact that you're going to continue to be in relationship with Jesus moving forward. If you fall away, if there is distance that is created between you and God, don't be sitting there holding that piece of paper saying, I got this piece of paper. 
Because that piece of paper really doesn't mean anything. What matters is your relationship with Jesus. And the evidence he's talking about, the things he wants us to understand, is that, listen, the evidence of your relationship with me is not that piece of paper. The evidence is the relationship. Now, do I think a person can genuinely put, come into a relationship with Jesus and lose their salvation? No, I don't think so. I think if a person asks Jesus to come into their life and you're genuine and sincere in that confession, I believe the Holy Spirit comes into that person's life, the Holy Spirit seals that person, draws them to himself, and I think they are eternally saved. But the challenge in this process is people pray simple prayers in the emotion of a moment but are maybe not genuinely, truly making a confession for Jesus. And the writer is saying, listen, the evidence is not a signature on a piece of paper. It's not a moment in time that we can kind of say, well, I prayed something there. Or I hadn't experienced something there. The evidence, the evidence is if we hold on to our confession and the hope in which we boast. The evidence that what you have is genuine and real is that you're continuing to walk and live in Jesus. Making sense? He then goes on. And he hits this next portion. I'll read down through verse, verse 12, and then I want to go to Psalm 95, because this is a quote from Psalm 95. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit... Did you, see, boy, did you, did you catch that? Did you just catch that? He said, therefore. He's connecting what's happening here with the things he just said. Therefore. Today, if you hear his voice, he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, by the way. Now, he doesn't say just as the scriptures say. This is what the scriptures do say, but he's saying, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. He's saying, as God says. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion and on the day of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. And they have not known my ways, so I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Now, catch this next statement. Watch out brothers and sisters so that there won't be any of you in any of you an evil unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God now let's go to Psalm 95 you may not recognize that portion we just read but you're going to recognize portions of Psalm 95 as we read it so we start in verse 1, it's 11 verses. He says, Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. I think there's been songs about Jesus is the rock and the rock of our salvation. Let's enter into his gates, his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. 
The depths of the earth are in his hand, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Again, we've sung songs with some of these themes and some of these statements. But the next part is ones we absolutely know. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the God, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pastor, the sheep under his care. And then the quote in Hebrews surfaces today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as on the day as at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was disgusted with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my way. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Now here's what the author is doing. He's talking to the Jewish community. He's laying the cards on the table. He's saying, listen guys, you need to walk with the Lord. You need to come back. You need to really be serious in your consideration in looking at Jesus. You need to take some time to really consider him, to contemplate him, and to walk with him, to know him. He is greater than Moses. Guys, Jesus is not secondary. Jesus is not minor. You have been taking steps back away from Jesus. Guys, you shouldn't be taking steps back. You shouldn't be stepping away. Guys, what you need to be doing is you need to be stepping in. You need to be leaning in. You need to be drawing close. Because Jesus is greater than Moses. And then he goes to the songbook, the songs that they know, the hymns that they know, the messages and the passages that they know. He goes to the familiar territory. Back in the day, um, as the circuit preachers would travel around the country, there were not always a lot of churches that had a regular pastor, particularly as he started to get into the West. And so there would be circuit preachers that would go from town to town, community to community. And sometimes there were kind of set messages that these preachers would deliver. Sometimes the preacher would come in and he would kind of deliver a new message and a message that many hadn't heard before. But other times the preacher would come in and he would deliver a message that they have heard before. And you know, the, the, the preacher would come in and he would start to deliver that message and the people in front would go, mm-hmm, yep, I know this preacher probably, yep. That's it. You got it. Uh Uh-huh. Go. Yeah. Do they know where it's going? They know what it's about? I'll give you another example. Joan had an uncle who was a speaker, an evangelist up at Word of Life. Colonel Jack McGuckin. And I didn't know Joan yet at this point in time, but I would go to camp as a kid, and whenever I saw Colonel Jack McGuckin on the schedule at Word of Life, I always said to myself, this is going to be a good week. Because Uncle Jack, he was Uncle Jack then, but Uncle Jack, he would just tell stories. 
And often he told the same stories. But he was so good. And he would tell the same stories. And he'd be there. It's coming. It's coming. Yes, it's coming. And he would tell the stories. He would tell the stories about the ducks. Or no, the, the turtles on their back waving their legs. He would tell the story about the bobcat in the plane, running around the plane. He was, he was a jungle. He was, so Uncle Jack was a fighter pilot, World War II. Flew for a short period of time in Black Sheep Squadron. He did all that kind of stuff. He blew up stuff and shot down stuff. Tell stories about flipping his planes upside down. Then he became a jungle pilot. I think, where, what country, Joan? Peru, down in Peru. And so the, the turtles and the bobcat, that's a Peru story. He could tell the stories about the guys uh, on the, over in mid, Midway and other kind of areas. He would tell these stories. And you, as a kid going back and forth to camp and seeing him a couple times, you, you were ready for the stories. You would hear about the story about the guy who got his head peeled back and got all sort of coral stuff in his scalp. And you, you, you are ready for the story. What's the writer of Hebrews doing? He's going to the stories that they know. He's going back to that stuff. He's going to that preacher, brother. We know it. Yes, the anticipation passages that they are familiar with, the things that they know. But he's doing it with a twist. Guys, you need to understand who this really is talking about. Guys, you need to really think because it just doesn't apply to the thing you're talking about. It also applies to Jesus. And guys, we need to come back. We need to understand God was not happy with you at Meribah, was he? And they go, no. They all go, no. That was bad. That was bad. And they cringe. You all know what happened at Meribah? Moses led the nation out of Egypt. The nation of Israel had watched the plagues. They'd heard the plagues. They saw the plagues. They they saw all the things that happened. And then they saw the Passover plague. And they all sat down and they had the lamb. And and they, they all did the things that God was telling them to do. And they experienced the angel of death pass over Egypt. And, and Pharaoh saying, get out. And chasing them out of the world. But as they chased them out of Egypt, they didn't just say, get out, go. They piled them high with gifts. The scripture talks about how they left, they plundered the nation. Why? Because they were piled high with gifts to placate God and to satisfy God and to go. And they lived through the experience where God led them to the Red Sea. And now they are stuck between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army because Pharaoh had buyer's remorse at saying go. He changed his mind. He wanted them back. And they lived through this. And they were living through the reality that God was showing up as a pillar of fire by day, or a pillar of fire by night, and a pillar of cloud by day, where they could tangibly, physically see the presence of God. They experienced God separating the ocean, separating the sea, drying out the ground, freeing them to go running across. And they watched God close the water up again and drown Pharaoh and his army. But they were constantly grumpy with God. God, we're hungry. What do you do? You did all that to 
bring us out here and starve us? What do you do? You did all that stuff to bring us out here and kill us? Oh, some good God you are. So God fed them. Sent them quail, sent them manna. By the way, do you ever say something like that to God? Do you ever have that kind of conversation at times with God, thinking, God, you're being really good, but things aren't quite going the way you want, and all of a sudden you go, God, you must be really a jerk. Do you save me so you could really give me the dickens in life? Do you ever say that in your relationship with God at times? Like, God, did you save me just so you could mess with my life and screw me over? Is that what you did? No, God didn't do that. But that's how the Jewish community was reacting. And then they said, We're thirsty! What'd you do? Bring us out here to, to not only starve us, but to make us die of thirst? And so that's when God told Moses, Go to the rock and whack it. And I'll give them something to drink. All of this within a couple of months. It culminated. It reached its breaking point. God continued to show himself. The nation saw Moses go up to the mountain and bring the Ten Commandments down. God revealed himself in cloud and storm. And they said, no, 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 Moses, you go. We're good hanging out back here. You go. God continued to reveal himself with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. God continued to reveal himself. By an untrained army, they were able to engage in conflict and conquer those that opposed them, bringing them to the promised land. And then they get to the promised land, and they go, oh no, there's giants in the land. We're out. Constantly rebellious, constantly stubborn, constantly saying no to God, constantly not believing that God would do the things he said he would do. Constantly not believing. And he walks through this passage and he says, Guys, are you like the nation at Meribah? Are you like the nation of Israel that was called out by me? That I drew out of slavery? I drew you into freedom. I drew you into relationship with me. And I was taking you to the promised land. I was taking you to the place of rest. And you fought me the entire way. And we get that verse 12. He says, watch out, brothers and sisters. So that there won't be any, there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Guys, there shouldn't be this going on. Guys, that's evidence of an evil, unbelieving heart. Guys, that's evidence that confession that you say you hold on to may in reality, may not be real. Rather, instead of taking steps back, do this. 
Encourage each other daily. While it's still called today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Encourage each other daily. Remind each other daily of the promises of God. Remind each other daily of the significance of who Jesus is. So that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. When we think sin tells the truth, recognize you're being lied to. When sin, when Satan pulled Eve aside and pulled her aside in the garden, was he telling her the truth? No. He was deceiving her. He took a kernel of truth and bent it way out of shape. Sin lies to us all the time. You ever know a person, excuse me, and you would have a conversation with them? And they would start to talk and you would say, say to someone next to you, they're lying. They're lying. And you go, how do you know they're lying? You go, their lips are moving. As soon as you see lips, as soon as you see sin's lips moving, it's lying. It's lying. It's not telling you the truth. It's not better. It's not more precious. It's not more special. It's not greater. It's a lie. It's lying to you. As soon as sin whispers in your ear, recognize you are being lied to. He says, listen guys, I want to encourage you. As long as it's called today, today, encourage one another. Speak encouragement to each other. Challenge each other to walk with Jesus. Challenge each other to embrace Jesus. Challenge each other not to step away, but rather to step in. Because we don't want your hearts hardened by sin's deception. Know what happens as these individuals are stepping back? They are hardening their heart. I thought Jesus was real, but I guess he isn't. I thought Jesus was the answer and a solution, but I guess there's other things that are maybe a little more important, a little more valuable, a little more special, a little more precious. I thought this was a life-changing event, and I thought this embracing of Jesus would totally transform my life, but you know, I think there's other things that I maybe want to pursue, and I maybe want to embrace that I think would be more significant, more valuable. And as we're taking these steps back, we're hardening our heart, we're telling ourselves these lies, and we're creating barriers and blocks from stepping back in and embracing what's there. Hearts are getting hardened. For we have become participants in Christ. And again, this is what he says here. If we hold firmly until the end, the reality that we had at the start. And again, what is he saying? Listen. The evidence that you're in Jesus is not a piece of paper you signed at one point. Not the memory of a prayer you prayed 
one day. The evidence that you are in Jesus is that you're continuing to step in. You're continuing to engage. You're continuing to listen. And you're not stepping back. That's the evidence that you're in Jesus. You're continuing to be engaged. As it said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And he's writing to them, he's saying, listen, I don't know where you guys are in your walk with Jesus, and I don't know how you're choosing to interact with Jesus. But he's saying to them, listen, don't harden your heart. If you in your journey, if you in your faith, if you in your walk, you're kind of taking some spaces, some steps back, and you're trying to create a little bit of space between you and Jesus... He's saying, don't do that. Don't harden your heart to the message I'm giving. Don't harden your heart and be content and satisfied with that space or harden your heart and create a little more space. Don't do that. Allow your heart to be softened. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict. Allow the message that I'm giving, he's saying, to draw you back in to walking with. Allow it to draw you back in to more deeply consider and engage who Jesus is. Don't harden your heart and create space. Soften your heart, embrace Jesus, and go closer. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? We talk about the promise of life. We talk about the promise of eternity. That's the rest that God talks about. Who's going to enter into that rest? Those in Jesus. But what he is also saying is, listen, you need to be careful. Because if you're stepping back, you may not be entering that rest. Because your stepping back may indeed be evidence that you never were in Jesus to begin with. Just as all those people who left Egypt, only two entered the promised land. Millions. I think it was 16 or 18 and over at that point in time. Everyone's 16, was it, do you remember 16 or 18 years of age? I don't remember. Everyone's 16 or 18 years of age at the time when they said they're not going to go into the promised land. Everyone that age and older died. Not a single one made it into the promised land except for two. Jacob and Esau. That's it. Do I have that right? You don't know? Listen, you're my, my, you're my scholar here. You're supposed to make sure I'm on track. Huh? Caleb, thank you. Thank you. I was, I, as soon as I came out of my mouth, I said, I don't have that one right. Jacob and Caleb. Or Joshua and Caleb. But boy, I'm way off the mark. I'm, at least I'm, I'm, I'm... Terrible. 
least Joan isn't correcting you this time. <laughs> Listen, two guys, two guys made it in out of millions. Out of millions. Because they backed away. Don't back away. Engage. Now, see, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. That's all about belief, isn't it? Now, we then come to a conversation about communion. We read the scripture. And as we read those scriptures, it talks about what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. We read in the, in how in the 